Hi, come on in. Join my daughter, Person Noob, and me. I'm Soccer Noob for our weekly footy extravaganza. Every single episode, we cover 10 important matches from around the world. Could be national teams facing off, could be league or international tournament club matches. And we will go to countries big or small anywhere. I mean, any corner of the globe. If it's important where it's being played, it's important to us. There's a good chance we're going to talk about it. Plus, this episode is also going to feature the return of our very own awesome oracle, Noobstradamus. Plus, we'll do a little art and architecture, some, well, I'll just say for now, unique food learning, and these match mini previews. Our week runs Friday to Thursday, so that's July 2 through 8. Let's dive right in with... March number one! We always like to keep things chronologically oriented, and no Friday matches happen to make the cut. So we start on Saturday with our first match, and it's going to be one of the few matches that we have that is strictly a league match. We're headed to Kenya, their premier league, which is tied for number 17 in the African Federation, the CAF, tied with Zimbabwe. In fact, that's down two from a year ago. Because they're not in the top 12, they only get one Champions League berth, and they're about two-thirds of the way through the season, and that makes this a very critical match. We have uh, currently second place in the table there, KCB, taking on number one, Tusker. Tusker lead KCB by one currently. KCB in turn lead third place AFC Leopards by six. Now this is going to be the first of presumably two matches. The first match was canceled as have several matches for all the teams, presumably COVID uh, related throughout the season. Let's learn a little bit about each. KCB, that stands for Kenya Commercial Bank. A very interesting mascot, quote-unquote, or nickname. They uh, are called Sidwewe, which translates more to a phrase like a slogan, it's not over. That said, they have a lion on their crest. And if you're a long-time listener, you know how Noob feels about lions. Nothing wrong with them, but every other team in the world has a lion on there. So we will be rooting for Tusker. In any case, uh, one... uh, Little side note about this, lots of these soccer clubs around the world are involved, of course, with multi-sport clubs. Uh, This was a really interesting one I don't think I've ever seen before where a club has had a chess club in addition to their football. They play out of Nairobi. They've had a little success in the past. They won the FA Cup in 2004. Last year, they finished in second place uh, in the Super League and got promoted back up. They have been relegated in uh, 2015. Uh, This year, top four offense and number one on defense. They have figured out where their bread gets buttered, apparently. Certainly not getting relegated this year, trying to take home a trophy. Key players to look for on the scoring leaderboard uh, is Derek Otanga. He's in the top 10. And then tied for third in goalkeeping stats overall is Joseph Okath. Meanwhile, Tuskers, their nickname is the Brewers, as they are named for an East African breweries beer brand. Uh, Interesting, if slightly morbid side note, uh, the reason the club was named as it was, uh, when the company was having its first meeting back in 1923, presumably it wasn't at the meeting, but around that time, uh, the founder or one of the founders was killed in an elephant hunting accident. Hence the name of the beer, Tusker. Yes, it has a profile of an elephant right on there. A little creepy, to be honest. Uh, They also play out of Nairobi, and this is definitely a more traditionally successful team. They have 11 league titles to their credit, three of them this decade, although they last won it in 2016. I don't think they have ever made really any noise in the Champions League. Example, last year, or rather last time they went, 2017, uh, they lost in the very first round, the preliminary round, in fact. Last year, they finished in third place. This year, number one offense going. They're the only team that's scoring one and a half goals per game or more. Defense is top three. And overall, and I think this makes them the favorite and they could get three points on the road, they have the number one goal differential going. Tied for number three and scoring in the league. Key player look for on their end is Henry Maja. Match number B. Thank you for reminding us always, person noob, daughter dearest, that number two is bathroom talk. The preferred way to say the phrase is number B. So please, listeners, join the revolution. But now let's talk about the second match of the podcast. We're staying in Africa, but this is an international club match with a trophy on the line. It is the final of the CAF, the African Confederation, 
Confederation Cup. That is their equivalent to the Europa League. It's the secondary international tournament there to the Champions League. Now, unlike in Europe, uh, where the champion, or I'm sorry, the Europa League winners are guaranteed a Champions League berth the following year, I know that is not the case in Africa for the Confederations Cup. And in fact, I found conflicting information on whether or not the winner of this even gets an automatic berth into next year's Confederation Cup. I don't think so, though. In any case, it's going to be played in a neutral site, uh, Cotonou in Benin, and your matchup is Raja Casablanca versus J.S. Kabaili. Now, I talked about J.S. Kabaili just within the last week or two, and so I'm going to stick to Raja Casablanca, a team that we have not touched on. Uh, they lead the all-time series. It's a very brief one with this team, 1-1-0. One, one, uh, Raja Casablanca, uh, playing out of Morocco, are the Green Eagles, and they are a fun team to watch. No matter who's been coaching them over the last few decades, they always tend to play more or less the same style. Long ago, a coach of theirs was inspired by the South American style. Very elegant, very creative, lots of short passes, and yet with it mixed in a lot of long push and runs as well. And they play that way to this day. This team has three Champions League titles to their credit, most recently won one in 1999. Their success in this event is more recent. They won the Confederations Cup in 2018, and Morocco must have been the host country because otherwise I don't see how they could have been playing in it, but they were a finalist in 2013 in the FIFA Club World Cup. Now, how do they qualify uh, for international play this year. Well, they won the 2019-2020 uh, Batola. That is the top flight league name there in Morocco. Uh, this year, how are they doing? Well, they are in second place late in the season. They've got the second best offense and they are tied for having the best defense going. Uh, this means that if they hold on, they're going to make the Champions League again next year. Although Wydad Casablanca, their intercity rival, have all but mathematically won that league this year. But in any case, uh, their form is a little bit poor of late. They are 0-2-1 in their last three. All of those were league matches. They've had a dreadful time scoring, only one goal over that time. Now, they got to start in the Champions League, lost and dropped down to the Confederation Cup, just like happens in Europe. You lose at a certain point or earlier. You drop down from the Champions League into a waiting spot in the Europa League there. In any case, uh, they've only conceded one goal for the entire Confederations Cup, and yet in the Champions League, they couldn't score either. Uh, their loss was a two-legged tie. They lost nil-nil, nil-nil, and then it had to go to penalty kicks 3-1, and they came out on the short end of that stick. So in these events, they haven't always been scoring a lot, but they haven't been giving up a lot either. In fact, in the semifinals here for the Confederations Cup over the two leagues, uh, they were two scoreless draws, and then they won 4-5 uh, to five on penalty kicks. Now, they must have scored a lot of goals very, very early on because they do actually have the number one event scorer, believe it or not. He's got five goals, Ben Malango. He's from the Democratic Republic of Congo, plays forward. And he's also the second leading scorer in their domestic league. And then tied for number one in league assists, so a key man for this match, Sofiane Rahimi. And his is a name that you can expect to see more and more because while Morocco's league is very, very good, he will, it looks like, be joining the number one team in all of Africa, Egypt's All Ailey, next season. And then finally, another guy with man in the match possibilities, tied for first place statistically in goalkeeping, is Anas Zaniti. Match number three. Still staying on Saturday on the calendar, our third match, we're headed to Conmebol, South America, where they're getting to host and even hoist an even bigger trophy. It's the Copa America final. It's going to be played in Brazil, specifically at Stadio de Maracanã in uh, Rio de Janeiro. Argentina versus Brazil. This is the equivalent of the European championships there. They're men's national teams. Now, Noob understands that if you're a footy fan and you have found this podcast, thank you so much for giving a try at something different. Now things are about to get really, really different. In fact, you probably already could give just as deep a dive as I could on these two teams, the history of the Super Classico and the event, Noob is not just a moniker for branding purposes. It is my life. I've only been following the game for a few years. 
So rather than do a deep dive of our own, let's see if we can't make some money on this. Who are we supposed to be betting on? And as always, it's been about three, maybe four weeks since we've talked to him. So hopefully he's ready to get his first match right of our entire tenure of the podcast. We turn to in-house prognosticator, 3,500-year-old, long-bearded, googly-eyed, Noobstradamus, take it away, mighty soothsayer. Greetings from the wind-torn Thracian plains of Greece. You've come seeking knowledge of the Copa America final. I had a feeling you would, and all my feelings are right. So I've been conducting my own Santo Daime Traballo, or ceremony. Noob, you've always struck me as the sort of fellow who's never done drugs, or has done way too many. In case it's the former, I'll explain. Santo Daime is one of the main religious sects in Brazil that uses what those outside this practice call ayahuasca, hallucinogenic tea. SD is a little spiritism, a little Catholicism, a dash of animalism, some shamanism, and this tasty beverage. Devotees here drink it to move through a spiritual journey, an ego-killing during which they will come to better understand peace, love, and harmony. I just enjoyed a hot cup of the drug juice, so in my mind, I am moving through space and time. Whee! I'm in Brazil, tapping rubber trees with the man history will soon know as the founder of the SD sect, Raimundo Irineu Serra. I sense he's been slacking off the job completely, just sitting under a tree and concentrating. Wait, he's up and moving, doing some sort of dance movement. Very geometric. Yep, that's the diamond. A rhombus? Of course! He's doing the first traballo. I know him singing is next, and since the answer will be there. Yes, he's crooning a folk Catholic tune in an a-traditional time signature, common later to this practice. 3-4 time. Noob. Brazil will win. 3-4. I have taken a psychedelic, nesty plunge. I have seen. I have spoken. Match number four. As strange-seeming as Noobstradamus' visions are, and thank you for that one, mighty soothsayer, they're also educational. Because here at Team Noob, we don't just like to learn about soccer. We like to learn about the world by learning some about soccer. And having done some of my own research on what he had his vision about, I can tell you that there's a lot of real stuff in there, even though the vision itself... Well, let's just say part of our deal with him is that uh, every week we send him some uh, soda streamer tab as well as a, uh, a bag of uh, loose, unlabeled prescription pills. So that may or may not be uh, having an effect there. Let's move on to another Saturday match. Match number four keeps us in South America. This is the other league match we're going to be looking at for this podcast. We're staying in Brazil and going to their top flight there, Serie A. They're about halfway through the season. Tons of teams out of uh, South America's number one league get to go to international competition. Four teams will get Champions League berths right into the group stage. Fifth and sixth place teams will actually also qualify for the CL. They'll have to start in the qualifying stages, though. And then five teams will qualify for various stages of the Copa Sudamericana, their secondary international tournament there. Your matchup, it's another number B versus number one. We love those here. They are the shiniest. I almost called myself Soccer Squirrel, but then I wouldn't really have known what to call person noob. In any case, it is number B, Atletico Parana Insane versus number one, Red Bull Bragantino. Definitely the first time I've ever done anything regarding that team, either for the podcast or even going back through to my days doing the uh, website that led to this. Uh, these two teams have only played three times, one, one, and one, perfectly even. Let's look at them. 
uh, parana ense. I always want to stop a syllable short there and say para ense. Parana ense are known as the hurricane. Love it. They play out of a city called uh, Curitiba. That is the number seven size metro in Brazil. Uh, well over three million people there in the uh, uh, Paraná state in the southeast. And one of the my favorite things that I found out about this city is if I ever go to Brazil, I know which city I'm probably going to visit or hypothetically would even move to. Probably the overall best city in Brazil when it comes to the Human Development Index rating. I don't know who puts it out, but basically that's their way of saying very low on crime and not too terribly expensive to live in compared to other super major metro areas. In any case, MLS fans will have some familiarity with them, depending on which teams you follow, as in the past they have been partnered with FC Dallas. I believe right now they have a working relationship with uh, Orlando. Also, interesting side note, they are directly partnered with the All India Football Federation. How do they do? Well, they've got one league title to their credit. That's back in 2001. The Copa do Brasil, the FA Cup, they actually won that just a couple years ago, 2019. And they won the aforementioned Copa Sudamericana, not the Champions League, or what they call their uh, Copa Libertadores, in 2018. Now, sixth time they have been to the Copa Libertadores, just in the 2000s, and their best finish, they were uh, runners-up in 2005. Last year, just barely above average in the table, they finished ninth out of the 20 teams. This year, obviously doing much better. Number three on offense, number seven on defense. But that said, I want to point out that that isn't really a bugaboo for this team. Probably four or five of the teams that rank at the very, very best in the league on defense and goals allowed, they do something called parking the bus. They don't score many goals either, and they're actually well, well down the table. So for a team that's contending for the title, their defense is just fine. But let's talk offense. Uh, probably their best all-around player, tied for number three on assists, is Marcinho. He is a uh, right back, so kind of a box-to-box player, a defensive player who gets some stats on the offensive side, just 25 years old. Uh, I guess here's to hoping. I mean, we want justice to be served, but you wonder how much longer he's going to be able to play football here or anywhere. In December of last year, he was charged in a drunken hit and run where a couple was killed. And I am pretty sure based on some of the things that I was reading and translating that that court case is uh, not completely taken care of yet. Yikes. Ah, so a happier player to perhaps root for. Another one of their all-around best, their central attacking midfielder from Uruguay is David Terrence. Uh, Very well balanced on what he does offensively. He's got three goals and four assists on the season. Meanwhile, Red Bull Bragantino, they got to be happy that Red Bull took them over, bought them in 2020, because their nickname up to that date had been, and maybe something's lost in the translation, the Gross Mass. Yikes, I can't even imagine, yet I did check that on multiple sources. In any case, they are now part of the Red Bull portfolio, just as uh, New York Red Bulls and a team from Austria and a team from Germany are all, all owned by Red Bull. They have this one as well. This is just their second season in Serie A, the top flight, since at least 2002. Uh, in 2019, they won Serie A, uh, Serie a B, the second flight, and got to move up. Uh, let's see, last year in or no, rather their best finish in Serie A uh, ever, was in 1991. They finished runners-up. And by the way, they play out of a city called Braganza Paulista, <coughs> excuse me, which is part of Sao Paulo, a metro area of about 175,000. Last year, right in the middle of the table, number 10, they've got the best offense going, spending that Red Bull money well, and then the number six defense. Second place on scoring on the league is uh, Italo, uh, forward, homegrown, 33-year-old veteran. He's got the only hat trick on the season in this league, scored three goals once. European footy bands, particularly those who follow things in Italy, will recognize his name as he has done time with uh, Brescia and Sampdoria. And then even English football fans, he did play for Sunderland in recent years for a season or two. And also possible man in the match, tied for number three on league in the league on assists is the singularly named Artur, their 23-year-old forward. Match number five. And alas, we get to flip the calendar to Sunday for certainly the biggest match in the world this week. Yes, the European Championships final. The Euros. They're still calling them the 2020 Euros, even though the year is 2021. And go figure. I'm sure they got the reasons 
I be just a noob. And just like before with the Copa America, because I'm such a noob, what am I going to tell you, long-tenured footy fans, about England and Italy? You already probably know even more than I do about them. That's why I listen to other shows. So, at least once per podcast, I try to do something food-oriented, and this seemed the perfect excuse. I don't pretend that this will help you know who to root for or anything else, but I just decided to see how yucky we could make things. I tried to find two of the most disgusting dishes that I could in a reasonably quick time and thought I'd tell you about them both to see which one seems worse. So let's start with England and talk about stargazy pie. Now that kind of sounds like maybe a moon pie or something from the American South. Doesn't sound like we're off to such a bad start with it. It's a Cornish dish made famous in a uh, town or area called Mouse Hole. And it's quite lovely. There's a little bit of folklore with it because uh, back in the 1500s, there's a legend that says a man named Tom Bawcock went out fishing and caught a bunch of the fish that get used in this particular dish, saving the village from starvation and thusly, they uh, decided to bake a giant pie, which you'll get a description of shortly. How disgusting does it turn out the pie is? Well, another Cornish legend says that the devil will not come to Mousehole because he is afraid that he would be turned into an awful pie ingredient. Nope, not making it up. Here's what's in this. Eggs, potatoes, and baked sardines with a pastry crust lid. And if the idea of sardines isn't gross sounding enough to you, they specifically have that pastry lid on top. And then they put the sardines in whole and they make sure traditionally that the fish tails and the fish heads are sticking out of the pastry. Now, there actually is a culinary reason for it from what I read. that They position them that way with the ends up to allow the oils to filter down into the pie, adding it to the flavor and keeping it moist. I think they simply do it for the reason that it gives it its name. It's to make it seem really, really gross and funny and make it look like the fish are gazing heavenward, stargazy pie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Encourage you to make that for the European finals. Not in any case, let's talk about what I found in Italy. A nice sounding name is everything does sound nice in Italian. At least if you're not from there, like me, Pani Ka or Sa Muesa, M-U-E-S-A translates to bread with spleen. Ooh. They use a soft bread called Vastetta. Uh, Vastetta and they cover it in sesame seeds. It really looks like something you could and should not be able to get at Burger King. Because what goes into it? Well, Casio Cavello or ricotta cheese. That sounds fine. But what is that helping with the flavor of? Chopped veal lung and spleen that they boil and then fry in lard. So, Pause the podcast. Feel free to go empty yourself of whatever you've eaten for your last four or five meals. You're welcome. We like to do things very, very differently here. And we'll get on with the match when you are ready to click play. Is it the kitties or is it person noob chiming at us either way? What it means is it is time to take a break from our tracking of the upcoming week's matches and do what we purport to do in the show's title, and that is track. Let's take a look back at last week's episode 38 matches in this recap. Match number one, we looked at the NISA American Championship, Detroit City versus LA Force, and Detroit came away with the title 1-0. Congratulations to them. Match number B, we went to the Copa America, where Uruguay ended up losing on penalty kicks to Colombia, 2-4. Match number three, European Championship quarterfinal, Ukraine versus England, took place in Rome, and England won in a route, nil four. Harry Kane had a pair of goals, and Luke Shaw also had a brace on assists. Match number four, we went to the AFC Champions League Asia for Port FC out of Thailand, taking on Sarazo Osaka, and it went much as we all thought. Sarazo won nil three. Match number five, the CONCACAF Gold Cup qualifying stage. We wanted to take a look at Cuba versus French Guiana. Well, we took a look at it, but the match didn't end up happening. Cuba ended up withdrawing because of COVID and visa issues, so it is French Guiana that will get on to move on and face of the Trinidad and Tobago. Match number six, a Sunday match. We went to Major League Soccer for LA Galaxy versus Sporting KC, a top four matchup. And the Road Warriors out of Kansas City, they ended up winning 0-2. 
Match number seven, the NWSL, the Americans' top flight ladies' side. We had number one, Orlando Pride, taking on second place, NC Courage. And it was the road team once again, and once again with a nil to win. And they trade places in the table now. So the Courage of North Carolina are number one. Monday, match number eight, we went to the secondary tournament in Asia of the AFC Cup. For clubs, for Keda Darul Aman versus Lion City Sailors, and it was postponed. From what I read, it was something to do with an inability to find a centralized location to host the games because of the pandemic. I guess it's so bad in both those countries they couldn't host it there. So uh, the teams from the uh, Southeast Asian zone, uh, all those uh, group matches are going to be canceled. Match number nine was supposed to be the Algerian League Cup. I say supposed to because it got postponed until the 20th of July. And then our final regular match, number 10, the Kyr- uh, Kyrgyzstan Premier League was supposed to be second place Dordoy Bishkek versus number one Olga. Do we do we have a soccer noob curse for bonus matches because, or, or rather Monday matches because they all ended up getting postponed. Then the three bonus matches with explanations on what these are coming a little bit later for newer listeners. We had a Saturday match for the route of the week out of Japan's Nadashiko League One, the top flight at least the uh, until next year when this all changes. Uh, for the women in Japan, we had last place Yamato Silva taking on Iga Kunoichi, and uh, the uh, number one team won nil to one. A much closer match than I would have predicted. Then the most meaningless match in the world from Kyrgyzstan. This one was not postponed. Number five, Kaganat versus number four, Abdish Atan. They played to a 1-1 draw. Draws being so predictable in common with the most meaningless match in the world. And then finally, our match of disappointed with two last place teams from the Jordan Pro League. Number 12, last place Al Buka versus number 11, Al Jalil. And it was actually a scoring fest. I'm used to seeing a lot of nil-nil draw on these. Al Jalil won on the road two to three and actually climbed up a notch to 10th place. And that concludes your recap from last week's matches. Now let's get back to the current week's tracking with Match number six. Staying on Sunday, we're bringing it back to CONCACAF, where the Gold Cup group stage is finally starting the event proper. Uh, The match we're going to talk about with the USA versus the Haitian national team is going to be on television, Fox Sports 1, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and if you are so inclined, this is the first match of the group stage. Uh, There are 16 teamers remaining, so four groups of four playing a single round robin, and the top two from each group will advance. Pretty simple and symmetrical. And they're playing this in Kansas City, Children's Mercy Park. Very nice. Now, once again, like before, I know that you can find out a lot about the USA men's national team from every other podcast out there. But from what I've heard, not a lot of hosts spend a lot of time on the opposition. So I thought I'd do a little bit of a dive for the mini preview here into the Haitian men's national team. They are known as the Grenadiers, which uh, could refer to a military rank, or it could refer to uh, an ocean bottom-dwelling fish. In my mind, I'd like to think of this both put together, but that's probably not the case. Amusing to me. In any case, this is the number 10 ranked team in CONCACAF, just number 383 overall in FIFA. Number three, that would really be something. No, 83. Uh, they want to. Pl- they had to just to get to this event. They had to win a playoff bracket against three other third place teams from the Nations League. That was a qualifying event for this. Uh, they beat uh, St. Vincent and Grenadines six one and Bermuda four one. They were the favorites. Didn't really have any trouble. Now back in Nations League in their group, they did have a little bit more trouble. But they were against uh, a good Curacao team and a very good Costa Rica team. Probably the third, maybe fourth best team depending on how you feel about Canada in all of CONCACAF. So they went 0-3-1 was all, and they only scored three times but gave up nine goals. So it'll be interesting to see how they do against varying levels of competition here in this group. Uh, in World Cup qualifying this year, they have gone 3-2 and two with both losses being in the second qualifying round over two legs to Canada. Now, historically, they do have some big international uh, pride. They uh, went to the World Cup once. Didn't win any games, but they got there. That was back in 1974. Closer to home with the CONCACAF champion, uh, or rather with this event, uh, they won it once and then finished runner-up twice. That was all back in the 1970s, though. 
In 2019, however, they did get as far as the semifinals and finished in third place. Now, we've got a bunch of USA connections, and a couple of them are going to be really, really key. This is more player uh, point contacts than I usually make, so bear with me, but I just think it's fun to see what our USA League connections are. Uh, their goalkeeper, who doesn't have any caps, but he's definitely going to be starting, is Brian Silvestri. He plays for uh, not Inter-Miami. This is the second-tier team uh, U- uh, out of the USL Championship, Miami FC. He was actually born in Hollywood, Florida. Uh, he's done some playing other places, of course. Uh, he was with the USL League, uh, USL League One team in North Carolina, from 2015 to 17. And then during part of 2015, he actually made a dozen appearances in major league soccer with the Philadelphia union. Another connection Francois Dulis. He is a defender, 22 years old, plays with the uh, reserve side in USL league one uh, for the new England revolution. He also no international caps yet. Another player who is us born Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, in fact, uh, he doesn't have any national, not only does he not have any national team caps, I couldn't find any evidence that he, that he's really made appearances on the field just about anywhere. So a man of very little experience. Now, this guy's going to be one of their best players, as is evidenced by where he plays. Derek Etienne, he's a midfielder. He is their most experienced of that position. He's got 25 international appearances, and he plays for the Columbus crew of the MLS. Richmond, Virginia-born, he actually came up with uh, New York Red Bulls, and uh, from 2015 to 2019, played a lot for the Red Bulls and the Red Bulls River Reserve side. Now, I'm really going to butcher the uh, pronunciation on this next one. First name, easy. Last name, not so much. Uh, Zachary Haravaugh, he's a midfielder, uh, plays for uh, USL Championship Birmingham Legion. He was born in Osaka, actually. I'm going to assume a military family, but I don't really know for sure. He's made just a little under 20 national team appearances. Started his career with New England, but uh, he's just made 10 appearances in the last four years. And interesting side note for him, um, he is actually cousins with uh, the famous uh, tennis player, I believe, uh, Naomi Osaka. Now, 21-year-old forward, very young, but plays in the USL Championship, a foreign named Ronaldo Ronaldo Damas. He's got six goals and eight appearances down this year. Wouldn't be surprised to see him with a major league side uh, rather than with Orange County before too long. And this is our first player playing for the Haitian team that's actually born in Haiti, and he's got a couple of caps. And then on the offense, on the scoring side, not a U.S. connection, but probably the most key guy to look for in the match for Haiti if they are to pull the upset. And he's got the most caps on the team. Uh, His name is Duckins. Excuse me. Duckins Nazon. He's a forward. He's made over 40 appearances with this team and he scored over 20 times. He's actually Paris born and he is a striker for an excellent team, St. Truiden in Belgium's top league. Now, I think overall where this team is most likely to have trouble, the USA is not sending uh the top five or six players by far are not going to be playing at any time in this event. They're resting up for uh, World Cup qualifiers, so they're kind of getting a B team into this event. So I think that Haiti is going to be able to press on the defensive side, but where they're going to have trouble, I believe, is goalkeeping because between all three goalkeepers, I believe, that they're bringing, only one of them has a national cap, and it's not their starter. In any event, good luck to both teams. Match number seven. I believe when I did the Brazil Serie A match earlier in the podcast, I mentioned that that was the second and last of our strictly league matchups, and that would make me a liar. Apparently, I am notes reading noob as well as soccer noob because match number seven, the last of our Sunday matches, is in fact a league matchup, and we're headed back over to Africa to Mozambique's top flight, the Mosambola. This is the number 20 rated league in Africa, which is down three from a year ago. They're almost halfway through the season, but not quite. Season actually started all the way back in January, but then they postponed it because of uh, the COVID outbreak for three months. And now they're back at it. And your matchup, number B, Ferroviaria Baira versus number one, Black Bulls Maputo. This is going to be the first of two meetings that presumably they will have this year unless they decide to not go back and complete everything because of the COVID outbreak. 
Let's learn a little bit about each. Byra, uh, that is the name of the town they're in that is on the central uh, part of the coast of Mozambique there in East Africa. About uh, If you recognize this area at all, it's for probably a very sad reason. Uh, back in 2019, there was a huge cyclone. Uh, I'm going to uh, get the pronunciation wrong potentially, but I think it's uh, Idai or Idai, I-D-A-A. But in any case, 90% of the city was destroyed by it. Uh, a little bit more about the city. It has or had over a half million people. Uh, I've got to think there's been a lot of recovery if they're managing to play soccer, unless the team is now based somewhere else. But I didn't catch any inkling of that. Uh, this is the fourth biggest city in the country of Mozambique. Uh, they've only had two logos since 1924. I couldn't find an official nickname, but both of them looked very uh, locomotive-y. So I'm pretty sure that they have a train-related unofficial nickname. Uh, they have won the league title in Mozambique just one time. That was 2016, but they made a really good run of it in uh, the 2017 Champions League. They got all the way to the quarterfinals uh, where they had a very competitive match uh, with one of the Algerian teams. That's an excellent country there in North Africa, USM Alger. They lost one to one in the two-legged tie, lost on away goals was all. That said, they might have been a little bit lucky to get there because in the group stage where they finished in second place, part of the reason they were able to do that is because two of the four teams, the two that finished below them, were from the nation of Sudan, and FIFA suspended the entire FA from Sudan and therefore had to yank those two teams out right in the middle of the darn tournament. Talk about your bad timing. Last year in the league, they finished number four. This year, they have both the second-best offense and defense going, and uh, they have won two of their last three uh, for their form. They got a draw on the other one. Now, a team that, honestly, I couldn't find much about, Black Bulls Maputo. And if you're concerned with the fact that I'm a podcast host who doesn't know a lot about what he's about to talk about, hey, you go try to find something on every single team necessarily from Mozambique. This team, here's what I do know, is number one on offense and by tons and tons. In fact, they score almost three times per game on average. They've also got a top three league defense. Uh, current form, they are 2-1-0, and o, and the O is uh, critical because they have not yet lost a game. They are undefeated. Somebody must have bought this team and pumped some money in because last year uh, they won their league. That was the Southern Division in this uh let me try that again. They won the second division, Southern division last year. They were at the second level of Mozambique soccer. So now all of a sudden it looks like they could start to run away with the league title here in the top flight. Uh, they are one of five teams that play in the capital city proper. And uh, it's the biggest port by far. That's down and way down in the Southeast coastal region. And that's all you get on the Black Bulls. Match number eight. That was one whale of a weekend, New Bites. So you get Monday off, and then we pick things up on Tuesday with the 2021-2022 UEFA Champions League. Yes, it just does feel like the Champions League ended about seven, maybe eight weeks ago. But because of all the qualifying rounds with teams from the smaller countries, this is almost a year-long event. They're in the first qualifying round which came right after the preliminary round. They just had four clubs in it. Uh, these are two-legged ties, which means they play a home and away, two matches each, and this is the second leg we're going to be talking about. The winners get to move on from this match to play a club that uh, gets their berth in the second qualifying round, uh, Omonia out of Cyprus, the Cypriot Premier League. The losers will, instead of dropping down to the Europa League like they have done in years past, the secretary tournament, they will actually fall all the way down to the Europa Conference League, the brand new tertiary international club tournament in Europe. All right. With all that out of the way, the matchup I've chosen to focus on is Valer out of Iceland versus Dinamo Zagreb out of Croatia. Their, uh, their leg one meeting of this two-legged tie was the first time they've ever met, and Dinamo won three to two. That was the most goals in any of the matches, I believe, and so that's why I decided to pick this one. It should be fun to follow. And uh, that three to two, that is a lot of goals, and normally that would have counted even more that uh, Dinamo was able to uh, score so many, well, both teams, because of the away goals rule. If things in, in the past, if things were tied, whichever team scored more goals on the road won that first tiebreaker. But UEFA has done away with that rule, so they would go on to uh, add an extra time or perhaps go straight to penalty kicks. 
In any case, let's take a look at each of these teams, especially the Icelandic one. These are your underdogs, and who doesn't like those? Valor, they uh, are kind of an inner city team there in the capital of Reykjavik. They're in the just east of the central part of the city is where they play. Uh, this is the number 52 league, pretty close to the bottom uh, in all of UEFA, their type. Uh, top flight, the Ervalsdeld is what it's called in Icelandic. This is the number 261st rated club in all of UEFA. So underdog indeed. But there in Iceland, they are the power. They've won 23 domestic league titles and three of the last four. Uh, best international finish they've ever had in the Europa League. They made the third qualifying round. And that was fairly recently, 2018-19. Last year, additionally, they were in first place in the league when the season was abandoned because of COVID about three quarters of the way through. This year's season, they're one of the uh, summer leagues of Europe, and so their season's about half done. Uh, they've got the second-best offense going, a top-three defense, and second-best goal differential. Uh, they lead the club that's currently in second place by five points, although that team has a match in hand on them, so it could be a heck of a race. Key man to look for in this one, if they are to pull said upset, would be Patrick Peterson from Denmark. He's a top-ten league scorer in Iceland. Interestingly, this is his third time he's gone in and out with this particular club. Now, your favorites, Dinamo Zagreb. Uh, this uh, Croatia's top flight, I believe, is rated number 16 by UEFA, and this is considered the 33rd best club on the continent. They have really been playing good ball the last several years. Uh, last year, they lost to Villarreal, the eventual champions of the Europa League. They lost to him in the quarterfinals. They've made the group stage of the Champions League as recently as 2019-2020. An astounding 22 league titles and 15 of the last 16. Take that three of the last four, Iceland. I mean, is there any other team trying over there? Number one offense in the league. They've scored more than half as many goals as anybody else. Second best defense. And uh, they won the league by eight points. Uh, they had number B... <laughs> Almost got it wrong. League leading scorio, scorio, scorer Mario Gavranovic from Switzerland. Uh, if you're a big time European footy fan, you might recognize him from his Bundesliga days. He played for Schalke 04 in the early 2010s. Match number nine. Our second Tuesday match takes us back to South America for their Champions League, or what they call it, the Copa Libertadores. It is the round of 16. Each pair of teams is going to play a two-legged tie, a home and away, and this is the first leg. And so I've tried to choose amongst all the matchups the one that looked like it would be most competitive, and that looks to be Sao Paulo versus Racing Club out of Brasilia and Argentina, respectively. Their seedings for this are number nine and number three, although to a degree that's arbitrary because it's not based on their combo ranks. It's just based on how they did uh, in the group stage overall compared to one another. In any case, the winner is going to get to play uh, second seeded Palmyras out of Brazil, or if they manage to pull one heck of an upset, uh, number 15, Universidad Católica. <clears throat> Universidad Católica out of Chile. These two teams have only played twice before. Racing lead the series 1-1 and 0. Sao Paulo, they are known as the Faith Team. They play out of the Morumbi District in the West Central part, uh, area of about 40,000. Uh, this is uh, considered the number 13 ranked team in CONMEBOL. Uh, they've had a lot of international success, historically at least. This is the most successful team on an international level of all of them in Brazil. Uh, they won the FIFA Club World Cup in 2005. They won, uh, of course, the 2005 Champions League and have won two before that. Domestically, six league titles. They haven't won it since 2008. They should have won it last year, but finished in fourth. That team was ahead, just leading the league by what considered down there, considering it's a 20-team league, leaps and bounds, and absolutely, forgive the expression, crapped the bed the last, I don't know, eight or nine matches of the season to drop all the way down to fourth. In any case, uh, this year, they're not uh, going to be in a position to blow a league lead. They're all the way down in 14th, very average on defense and struggling mightily on offense. They're only uh, number 17 out of 20 in that category. They've actually won their last two league matches, so their form has been improving. But before that, they had not won a league match since June 8th. In the group stage for this event, they went 3-2-1, and one, finished in second place. They actually uh, lost out on the title of the group, too, the team they're facing today, Racing. Uh, they were the best of the runners-up. 
players to look for. Uh, they're on the assist leaderboard for the league. Emiliano Emiliano Rigoni out of Argentina, oddly enough. Uh, yes, La Liga fans, you're correct. He played there last year for Elche. Probably their best all-around player, in my opinion, though. I, I've spent a lot of time covering him last year as Wellington, their left midfielder. He doesn't have any assists on the league season, but that's not really what they need him to do. He is a tremendous passer, plays a little bit more out of the back because when he's not passing, he's a more than solid dribbler, can go for some very long runs before he starts the facilitation of things. Now, Racing Club, they play out of Buenos Aires, a city called uh, within Buenos Aires called Avellaneda, which uh, has about 350,000 people. It's in the south central coast, big industrial center and port, as you might imagine. And Racing Club, not exactly a football term. Well, uh, their owner, their first owner was a founder of a French auto industry magazine, hence the name. They are ranked number 22 amongst all clubs by Conmebol, have 18 league titles, and they uh, won the most recent one, 2018-2019. Internationally, they have won the Champions League, but just one time, and that was back in 1967. Got to go a ways back. This year, as far as their league play, uh, it's kind of divided into two parts this year instead of one big, long Super League. They played something called the Copa de la Liga Profesional, and then... uh, Actually, in just a few days, they will start playing the second half of the season, what they're going to call the Primera División. But in any case, how did they do in the Copa de la Liga? Well, uh, they made it all the way to the finals, but not in impressive fashion, at least offensively. They had to win their first two games on penalty kicks because they were both nil-nil after extra time. And then when they did lose in the final, they lost nil-three. Uh, in the group stage for this event, they went 4-2-0 with a 9-2 and goal differential. Didn't have any trouble scoring there. Uh, number five to that end in event scoring is Tomas uh, Chancelet or Chancelet. Not sure the pronunciation. He's just 22. Haven't had time to learn it. And he is on loan from Cologne. And match number 10. We're done. Finally. Done, person new, but surely you know after all this time, this is episode 39, that we still have our three super fun bonus matches to go, but let's not overlook match number 10, because this is the first time this event has ever been held. We're headed back to Europe one more time for the Europa Conference League, the tertiary tournament. So, new listeners or football fans, you've got Champions League, then Europa League below that, and then the new Europa Conference League, where we get to see a lot of second and third place teams from a lot of smaller leagues, teams that don't necessarily have a lot of international experience under their belt, but they're going to start getting some now. I, for one, think it's really fun to look at these teams and pay attention to their games. The winner of this event, just like the winner of the Europa League, gets a guaranteed berth in the following year's Champions League. Whoever wins the ECL will get a Europa League berth next year. You got a lot of contenders. Forget just the teams that are going to be dropping down from other events. This is the first qualifying round, and there are 66 teams in it. The winners are going to get to play Sepsi, the qualified for the second qualifying round automatically. Sepsi OSK out of Romania. And your matchup is Spartak Turnova versus Mosta. Uh, They are out of Slovakia and Malta, respectively. The Maltese Premier League wasn't one I got to follow very much last year. A lot of fun looking stuff up on them. Now, once again, I've gone with a uh, high-scoring affair from the first of the two legs to look at as our most intriguing matchup. Mosta won 3-2, so they've got a one-goal lead as they head on the road now to Spartak. Speaking of Spartak, let us take a look at them as soon as I scroll back up my notes. Whoops. (laughs) They play out of the Slovak First Football League, top division, which is rated number 31, just a little bit below average of all the league associations in Europe. Uh, The club is rated just outside the top 150. I love the nickname. They are known as the White Angels, and I've got to think this is directly tied to the nickname for the city because of all the churches and some of the architectural style. They're called Little Rome. It's in the west central part of Slovakia, city of about 65,000. They've had plenty of success. Back when uh, the two countries were united as Czechoslovakia, uh, 19, uh, as recently as 1973, they won their fifth league title, and they even made the Champions League semifinal once way back then. Now, since uh, having gone their separate ways with the Czech Republic, they have won one league title, and that was in 2018-19. They made the Champions League third qualifying round one time. They've been to the group stage in the Europa League, but never passed it. 
Last year, they finished number three in the league, uh, which is why they qualified for this. Uh, how did they do? They were number four on offense of the league, had the second best defense running. Uh, key players to look for on the scoring league leaderboard last season for them was Bamadele Yusuf, very young man, just 20 years old from Nigeria, plays forward. And then tied for number four in the league assists was Simon uh, Cabral, or Cabral rather, out of Brazil, also just 20 years old. He's actually was playing there on loan from Avai out of Brazil's second division, the Serie A B. And I read more than one rumor, so I have a feeling this is going to get done, that he will be moving up the European ranks to Turkey, probably with Galatasaray next year, usually one of the four best clubs there in Turkey. Meanwhile, Mosta out of Malta, that's in the city in the north central part of the country, incredibly densely populated, even though it's only got about 30,000 people. Uh, architecture or art history people will know this town from the Rotunda Mosta. It is the third largest unsupported dome in the entire world. Their league there, it's ranked fairly near the bottom, but this club will still see if they can still hack it in international play. Uh, the league, the Premier League there is rated only number 46 by UEFA. This team has never won the league title. This is their first time ever in international play of any kind. In fact, to qualify here, they really shouldn't have been here. Last year, they only finished sixth out of the 16 teams in Malta. Well, how did that work? Well, the champions, the Hamron Spartans, got banned because of a 2013 match-fixing case that finally got decided sometime within the last year. That bumped them up one step closer, but not quite into the Europa Conference League. But the team that finished right above them, number five, Silema, couldn't get or didn't want to get a uh, UEFA license. Whatever is involved with that, don't know. Don't care. It means Mosta is here. They got that fourth place slot, essentially. They had the fifth best offense, really struggled on defense, uh, just number 11. So I have a feeling they're going to have trouble in the net mining once again. Can they get enough offense? If so, most likely to come at the feet of number two league scorer, Bojan Kaljevic. And now it's time for my favorite part of the show, the bonus matches, three of them. Why do I adore them so? Well, this is the part of the show that you, fair listener, have a say in what the magic content's going to be. How does that work? Well, I put up candidate matches on Twitter polls for you to vote on, and the winners get to get featured on the show. My handle, by the way, on Twitter is SoccerNoobUSA. Now, our first bonus match is usually one that is a first place versus last place match from some top flight somewhere in the world. But guess what? Amazingly, there was only one pair of teams in the entire world from one league that qualified. That was out of the uh, nation of Malawi. And I learned uh, just uh, maybe about a day ago that that match got postponed. So no route of the week this week. So we'll move right into the theme song for our second bonus feature. And it goes a little something like this. Could you be... The most meaningless match in the world. Yes, you could. You're so boring. Ah, yes. Why spend all your time just focusing on the best teams or even occasionally the very worst teams that are facing relegation and or last place finishes from their leagues? I believe this is the only podcast with the heart to shine a spotlight on two perfectly middling teams essentially equidestined from fame and infamy. Yes, the mo- infamy, the most meaningless match in the world. And the one you selected is a Wednesday match from Aruba. Ooh, the Division de Honor. Very fancy going to the Caribbean. Now, the winner of this league uh, would qualify for the uh, Caribbean Club Shield. Not likely to be, but be either of these two teams, though. Also, additionally, I want to acknowledge that, yes, this league is probably in like the bottom quintile, the bottom fifth of all the leagues in CONCACAF even. But you know what? They play soccer everywhere. It's important to them where it's being played. And I have a heck of a fun time covering it and trying to learn even a little about it with some of these countries. Now, how the league operates. The top four teams from this league, uh, they're about to finish up. Only two matches left in their first regular season stage. Top four move on to the second stage. I believe it'll be another round robin or double round robin, not really a playoff. So that means this match isn't quite so meaningless as it could be because it's number four, Nacional, versus number five, SV Britannia. One of those teams will probably make the playoffs or the second stage, I should say, and one won't. Uh, But that said, they'll be woefully far behind and very unlikely to win the league and get that international play berth. 
So let's learn a little bit about each. Nacional, they play out of the town of Nord, about 21,000, in a uh, district area called Palm Beach, which, as you might imagine by the name, is very touristy. Uh, the whole area is only about uh, five kilometers, I believe, north. I know it's nearby uh, the capital city of uh, Orangestad. And uh, Palm Beach, that district area that they represent, only has about 5,000 people. They have won the league title five times, most recently in 2017-18. And take this with a grain of salt, but I believe that between the hurricane from a few years back and COVID, this might that might have been the last time that they played a season or at least a full season down in Aruba. In any case, this year, how are they faring? Well, uh, the offense is not very good, to be perfectly honest. They're, uh, they only have the sixth best out of the eight, but that gets buoyed by their beat defense, second best in the league. They're one of only two teams that's allowing less than one goal per match. Uh, their current form, they are 1-1-1 one, one, and one in their last three. Uh, their supporters, this is kind of fun, are known as the Betchy Boys or the Bad Boys, though the reference I got that from specifically mentioned that they are not hooliganish in their behavior. It went out of its way to point that out, that it is a very polite group. <laughs> And uh, the only time this team, Aruba usually doesn't send their teams, I don't think, to international play. But the only time that they got to play internationally in the Caribbean Club Championship back when there was only one Caribbean tournament instead of two, uh, they finished in second place in the group stage. Now, your road challengers, Britannia, they play out of Paradara, which I think has about 25,000 people. Not sure the size of the neighborhood they represent. It's in the northeast part of the country called Piedra Plot. They have four league titles, but haven't won in since 2013-14. What I believe to be the last complete season, 2017-18, they finished in fourth place. This year, number five on offense. Uh, just third best, or rather not just, but third best on defense, 1-1-1 one, one, one form. And they have two Caribbean Club Championship appearances under their belt. They also played in 2005 and lost all their games except for earning one draw. And now at last, dear Newbites, we have come, in fact, to the end of our podcast road, the 13th match of the Tenda Track. Apparently, I'm math noob as well. But hey, I like my 10 regular matches. I enjoy my three bonus matches even more. And I don't have to do away with any of them. So there. This last one is one where we don't like to end the show on notes of happiness or joy. You know this well, long-time listeners. We end with consternation, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. Shun, let us scorn these two last and second-to-last place teams from Top Flight League. This is the match of... Disappointed! Stumbling over myself just leading up to that because I know what's coming from Kevin Sorbo as the sovereign from the Hercules. Ooh, just scares me. In any case, the match you have voted on is a Tuesday match from Somalia's first division, a very low-ranked one, or more specifically an unranked league. This Not only are the teams disappointed, the league's disappointing. They rank only in the CAF for some reason, the top 32 leagues. And this league isn't even that good, and these two teams certainly aren't helping. There are three matches to go in the season. Two of the teams are going to get relegated. Your matchup is number 10, Giska Africa, versus number 9, Elman. Elman won the first match 4 to nil because as bad as Elman is, Giska, oof, uh, disappointed doesn't even begin to describe it. Let's take a look at them first. Oh, but just know that ELM, uh, Elman rather, lead them by nine and that they actually have a chance of getting out of the relegation zone. They trail a team called Gaditka, G-A-A-D-I-I-D-K-A. I I don't know what to do with those double vowels, but just one point. So a little bit of hope left for them. Not so much so for last place, Giska Africa. That translates, by the way, to Horn of Africa. They play out of the capital of Mogadishu, and they are mathematically already relegated and then some. They have only won one match on the year. How do they even manage it? One, two, and 12, seven goals for a boggling 43 goals against worst by far in both categories. Their only win was four matches ago, so they're not even ending on a tiny bit of an uptick here. And that's about all I was able to find out about them. I don't think that they were even in this league the last two seasons. I don't know if they were playing in lower divisions or if this is just a newly existing club, to be honest. Meanwhile, Elman, they are known as the Yellows, also playing out of Mogadishu, a club that was founded in 1996. Uh, therefore, I was able to find a little history on them. Uh, this is considered historically one of the best teams of the country, which just makes their play this year all the more capital D disappointing. 
They've won the league six times. Last time was a decade ago, admittedly, 2011-12. I don't think they've got any international. I couldn't find any record of international play for them. I'm guessing that back then that this is a league that either chose to or wasn't qualified to send teams to the Champions League. Can't say for sure. What I do know, last year they finished in third place. But this year followed on hard times. Uh, eighth best offense is all and defense. And uh, they're uh, not doing any better in recent form than their uh, opponents today. 0-0-4 is their current form. Now, I would like to be a nice host and wish these teams good luck, particularly Elman, since they have a chance to get out of the relegation zone. But instead, I will do what is more just and appropriate and end with this. Yeah, that's a fun way to end it. Yeah, believe it or not, that's actually how we're going to end the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'd also like to take a moment to thank the management for his editing and production duties to Dan, the former Interno Inferno, miss his work from back of the website days, but glad he has still got efforts for us and inspiration as well. And to my daughter, nine-year-old person noob, the true star of the show as co-host. Love you very much, honey. And to you once again, dear listeners, thanks so much for taking the time to find us. We know there's lots of soccer podcasts out there. We endeavor to do something a little informational, a little bit unique, and we're so glad you found us. If you liked it, uh, you know, tell other people about the Twitter handle, Soccer Noob USA, so they can take part in helping make the content and find the show and listen to the show. Until then, have a fabulous footy week. Take care. 